Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Brian. And I'm Irina. And today we're talking about Empire Records, released in 1995, directed by Alan Moyle, and starring Liv Tyler, Renee Zellweger, Anthony LaPaglia, LaPaglia? LaPaglia. There you go. Debbie Mazer, Maxwell Caulfield, Robin Tunney, Johnny Whitworth, and Rory Cochran, among others. It grossed only $273,188 at the U.S. box office and really not a whole lot more worldwide added to that. But I think it's become a cult favorite among our generation, Irina. What do you remember about Empire Records? Oh, gosh. So for this movie, it goes back to like the best friend that I ever had all the way back to I think I was almost 15. And it was one of those, you know, so and so is a friend with so and so and everybody talked on AOL because, you know, we're that old now. (laughs) And I said, you know, someday you're going to come hang out with me. And this friend, all of a sudden there was a knock on the door like 10 minutes later. I went to the door. I was like, what the hell is going on? And there was my friend Zach and he was like, hey, I brought this movie. Let's watch it together. And I was like, all right. (laughs) So that was a my first introduction to him and being my first introduction to this movie, which I loved and proceeded to watch repeatedly. I finally introduced it to my husband a couple of years ago. And last night when I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to review Empire Records tomorrow. He said, "Okay, so let's watch it. I was like, it's okay. You don't need to watch it just for me. He's like, no, I want to watch it for me because I love that movie. (laughs) That's awesome. I watched it alone. Uh, Actually, my youngest was sitting with me watching it. He didn't get half of it, which obviously, (laughs) but he was enjoying the time spending with dad watching a movie. So, but yeah, for me, I mean, this was came out right at the tail end of my junior year and into my senior year of high school. And at the time I was working at Target and what we would usually do after work is I would go over to a friend's house and we'd just binge on movies and, and whatever else was there. And one of the movies that was introduced to me was Clerks, which uh, I find hilarious. And yes, 100%. of course, yep, this one was introduced to me. And being that we grew up in the generation where Aerosmith's Get a Grip was a huge deal, Liv Tyler was introduced to us through those music videos, and I became a big fan of her. I I watched Inventing the Abbots and pretty much anything I could get with her in it. I really, you know, teenage boy, that's what we do. And this is one of them, so that's my kind of foray into this movie. I was a huge music fan, obviously, was in a band, so I really love the music that's in this. The soundtrack is absolutely phenomenal for this uh, movie. So yeah, just... it. And I never really watched it much after that. Uh, when I got through college and everything, I didn't watch it a whole lot, but I kept buying it. Like I have the DVD, I've got the Blu-ray, you know, I always wanted to own it, but it's one of those movies I just never really watched as much as I did when I was in high school. So it was really fun to watch it again, I think here. So real excited about it. But before we get into talking about, we're going to talk about these characters because there's a lot to go into some of these characters. It's really interesting, <laughs> interesting stuff. But let's talk about what the movie is and let's get a little plot summary here. So here we go. 
Lucas, an employee of a local record store, has been given his first opportunity to close the store. All he has to do is count the money twice, put it in a safe, and lock the doors. As he's doing this, he notices an application to become a franchise member in a major record retailer called Music Town. He finds it in his boss's drawer along with a graphic showing what their store, Empire Records, would look like with the movie or Music Town signage on it. Instead of depositing the money into a safe, Lucas decides that he needs to try and make enough money to stop his boss from giving it into the man. Instead, he takes the $9,000 and heads to a casino where he proceeds to lose every single penny. The next morning, as the employees arrive to work, the word is out that Lucas stole nine grand. Oh, it's also Rex Manning Day. Hilarity ensues as the staff prepares to open the store, welcome their special guests, and determine what to do, not just with Lucas, but also with a shoplifter that's been caught trying to steal some CDs. Instead of turning Lucas into the police, the group tries to convince Joe, the manager, that he shouldn't sell out to Music Town. In all of this, Corey prepares to give herself to her idol, Rex Manning, Deborah shaves her head and wants to die, Mark dreams of starting a band, Gina dreams of being a lead singer, and AJ tries to figure out how to confess his love to Corey. Oh, and by the way, this all takes place in just 24 hours. So there you go, that's the plot <laughs> summary to Empire Records. Quick and dirty, but that's really what it's all about, is it's just the interactions these kids have with each other and their love for music. Yeah, and it, you know, it starts out with kind of, my husband said it best, almost a Ferris Bueller's, like, reflection because there is the the narration at the beginning of the movie which is great and there was something that you said that cracked me up oh rex manning day so do you celebrate rex manning day every year <laughs> i do not know <laughs> i do <laughs> I <have> april 8th <laughs> i have friends who every year will send me some sort of rex manning meme or something just to remind me hey guess what day it is that's awesome <laughs> and then you know i'll i'll, I'll pump up and say no more <laughs> in the car and off I go and I think everybody thinks I'm special as I'm driving on the road and I don't care because it's one of those great memories for me that's fantastic um, so uh, one of the things I love is how we look back in this movie on how our actions uh, you know our impulse actions can affect the rest of our lives because we see Lucas take all this money and he's counted it we know he's counted it because he's sitting there muttering to himself and he goes and you know, he bets everything at the casino and he wins the first time around. Yes. And I sat there, I was like, okay, if the movie just stopped here, it would, there would be no movie. Wait, hold on. <laughs> but, you know, it makes us think of those little things that we did when we were that impulsive age, the the late teens and, and go, okay, wait, what was actually going through his head? Do you, I mean, do you remember being that age? Oh, absolutely. And you know what was going through his head is, oh, I could easily turn this into, you know, double, triple the money, and we won't lose this record store to that stupid music town, right? Mm -hmm. And he even says it when he's got the, the dice in his hand. You got to roll a seven. Good luck. I don't need luck. I'm rolling on something bigger than luck. And he rolls it and gets the seven, right? Exactly. So now he's feeling invincible. Everybody is like all with him, right? High roller here, bets everything. The guy says to him, are you sure you want to do that? That's an $18,000 bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoops. Yep, and watch out with nothing, right? 
Yep, walked out <laughs> with nothing but like a bruised ego. And it, because you and I kind of like to to dissect these characters a little more with Lucas and his manager, Joe, there's a very parental relationship between uh, Joe and Lucas. And we find out, you know, towards the end of the movie, when they finally figure out what's going on with this money, that, that Joe's basically adopted him, taken him out of foster care so that he isn't in the system anymore. Which kind of, once you realize that and you go back to the beginning and see why he's done this, it's because he wants to save dad, which is commendable, wrong way to do it, (laughs) kids, don't go out and do that. But, I mean, it's kind of cool, especially, you know, considering where all these characters go. I agree. Uh, Lucas is an interesting one for sure. You could tell he's got that bad boy attitude, but doesn't really have the maybe brains to pull things off so to say but he he acts like he knows everything and it was just really great how they introduced the character and like you said they break the fourth wall many times in this movie which i think is cool i I like when a when a film will do that once in a while just to kind of like say hey you know whatever I, i like that and so he does it i think mark does it a couple times in this movie and aj i think does it anyway it, it's fun but lucas is an interesting character i love the whole interaction of trying to get off that couch and he's inching ever so close over and over again finally he's got one foot on the couch as he's scanning around trying to figure out how he's going to go to the bathroom and and then oh, of course gosh, he yep. finds the shoplifter grabs the uh the cushion and goes out and keeps eyeing the guy and waiting for him to take off oh what a great great, uh, great and, character and let's talk about this shoplifter because i swear to god yes. he's one of my favorite characters in the whole damn movie the kid is a little asshole and i say that without hesitation because he is but he he's like the caricature of every you know, mid-teen guy back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the pants that are hanging down halfway <laughs> off his ass and, you know, his jacket that's way too big for him, whether it's because he's going to steal CDs or whatever the hell he's going to do. Either way, that was the style. So, and, you know, we we come to this point where Renee Zellweger's character, Gina, is in the Music Town apron because instead of having <laughs> them dress in their regular clothing and wear a badge, you know, they're going to have everybody wear an apron, which we would assume would go over their clothes. But Gina, being the extrovert she is, <laughs> the, <laughs> the attention whore she is, comes out just wearing the apron, the orange apron, and her panties. And this poor guy who calls himself Warren Beatty, which is even more hilarious. Um, <laughs> The, the facial expressions he makes during that entire scene just kill me. I end up laughing every time I see that because yeah. it's just, you know. Yeah, that's a good – he does a great job. That's uh, Brendan Sexton the third is the actor who plays Warren. And, and do we ever get a real name on him or they just, they just call him Warren the whole time, right? They just call him Warren the whole time except oh. when he says, my name isn't effing Warren. Right. And then they're like uh, – <laughs> Well, we got nothing else, buddy. Yes. And the the character's great. He comes in, right? He's got that sly looking around like, oh, I got something here. And he's stuffing some CDs in his pockets ever so carefully. He's got some sort of a contrapment device that I don't know if that turns off the electronics. It's a big magnet. 
Okay, it's a so he's big horseshoe he's, magnet, like the red with the like gray ends on it. And so everything. He's oh my de- god, he's demagnifying the um, strip so when he walks out, it doesn't set off the alarm, right? Mm-hmm. The old, the old trick that you could do back in the day. And but I love it. He they have this whole chase scene with him and Lucas, which is just hilarious. And he thinks he's finally outsmarted him. Finally gets caught, and they bring him in, and he's just this defiant little prick, right? Oh God, <laughs> you can't yes. do anything to me. Screw you. I ain't telling you nothing. You suck. I don't care. Whatever. And so they get the cops in there, and he gets he gets hauled off, right? And then but, he shows but not up. before Lucas makes him sit on the couch with him. Well, yeah, for a while, and he gets to for like hours. Well, because they have like. to wait for the cops to show up, right? So, oh, and and at this point, AJ, the artist, has super glued quarters oh, to the yeah, floor. That's, he's a weird one too. Yeah, well, he, which yeah, absolute weirdo. But then we have Warren trying, <laughs> trying to, to get the quarters, quarters, yes, <laughs> super glued these quarters to the floor. He just wants uh, the quarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my favorite is he comes back later, right? Because they tell they tell Joe basically that, be, you know, they have n- nothing to book him on, uh, so you know you can just let him go or whatever. And so he says, "Get out of here! Don't come back to my store." So he comes back later in the evening with a gun, and he accidentally shoots it right, and Straight all of a sudden people are like, "What Rick the hell?" Rick, Rick Grimes' gun too. Like he pulls <laughs> that thing out. I looked at my husband. And I was like, "Oh." Here we go. Rick, Rick Grimes just stepped onto the scene and, and I had a moment. But yeah, he comes in guns blazing. Guns blazing. And he starts shooting in the store like nothing, like to get people back. For first, I'm thinking, well, you got six rounds, right? So you've already wasted five of them. What are you doing? And then they just keep coming after Adam and Adam and he keeps trying to threaten them and he's, you know he's not going to do anything, right? So finally they get there and then he comes out and says all he wanted to do was work there. Right. So not not only does he come to that final conclusion, but this is one of the best moments for one of our other characters, Deb. And if we go back to the beginning of when we're first introduced to Deb, she is the quintessential 90s depressed chick mm-hmm. lost in that phase, goes into the bathroom, looks in the mirror and shaves her head completely. I mean, she has some fun with it, but you sit there watching and going, Okay, she hasn't said anything yet. What's going on? Where yeah. are we taking this? Yeah, she's the rebel, right? The, the rebellious teen who goes kind of to the dark side. You learn that she's cutting herself, which, you know, still to this day, I think there's a counterculture that still does that, sadly. But she's cutting herself. She's flirting with suicide. She's very depressed. We learn that she doesn't know where her mom is at one point in this. And then they have a mock funeral for her, which is a great scene, by the way. It's oh, absolutely it's fantastic scene. <laughs> and I love when she's down there and, and uh, as Corey's talking about how much she's going to miss her and she's like, bullshit. <laughs> you know, oh gosh, I think one of my other moments, my other favorite moment is she's, we, we Gina's been kicked out, but you know, she's run away is, is how old word it until we get to Gina but Corey's standing there over over Deb's head talking about Gina and how much she misses her and she goes I thought this was supposed to be about me right and the, the, <laughs> it starts that way and then everything devolves into something else like they start talking about things that they did when they were younger and now oh, and I wet the bed until I was whatever years old thank you Lucas I was the bed but that's you know there's so much that happens in that one scene of the mock funeral that's where lucas talks about how joe took him off the street we don't learn anything from mark but i don't know whether we (laughs) ever learn anything from mark except for how to get eaten by an alien while playing guitar for guar yeah right right? 
uh, a fake alien, but yes. Mark is the, t- you know, <laughs> let's talk about Mark. He is your stoner dude all the way into heavy metal music, wants to play guitar in a band, doesn't, I don't think ever, we ever learned that he ever knows how to play any kind of instrument at all, but he's there and he's just like, yeah, man, cool, dude. You know, the, your prototypical stoner guy and love his character. Like he keeps going in there and putting on all this wacky music and they keep turning it off. And he's like, what? <laughs> Override, oh, veto. It's only nine in the morning. You sure you want to use it this early? Pretty sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, it happens out. He ends up having like a big mosh pit in the middle of the store at one point with all these customers right before they announced that that it's turning into a music town isn't that when that yeah, happens yeah it is it is yeah you can't do this in music town yeah but just a fun character and he's just he at one point the pizza guy or no no the guitarist burko comes mm-hmm. in and gives him his homemade brownies <laughs> and that's when we're watching the guar as he's eating these things and he's just spaced out and all of a sudden he sees himself in there like you're a killer guitar player mark and he's like <laughs> and he's just like what me oh whoa and then well, with the TV's talking to me man yeah and then he starts getting eaten by the 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 dinosaur or whatever it was it and he's like and he, audrey too from little <laughs> shop of horrors come on now with yeah it's called. something but he's watching it and all of a sudden he goes <laughs> Like, it's pretty cool that he's watching himself getting eaten by this thing. <laughs> and then keeps, keep, and God love that actor for continuing, <laughs> even Amory, continuing to chew the brownie with it all stuck in his teeth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. What an interesting guy. Sorry, but, all the facial expressions are coming out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about Corey, right? Liv Tyler's character, Corey. She's the Corey. smart one, the brainiac, right? Uh, going to Harvard. And the goody two shoes, I guess you can call her, right? She's got the goody two shoes going for her, is really stressed about daddy, you know, wanting her to get straight A's or whatever, and uh, has a good relationship with Gina, of all people, but not so much with Deb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to kind of touch on the fact that Gina is the exact polar opposite of everything that Corey represents. Corey is our perfect little virgin and daddy's little girl. And then we have Gina who is running around with any guy she can find in the backseat of whatever car or whatever radio store she can find too. So, you know, we have these two, two females who completely juxtapose one one another who are best friends, which always blows my mind. (laughs) Ah, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it. It, it happens a lot. I think you can, uh, even in, in my own life, I know my wife has some friends that are completely the polar opposites of her, but it works. It's interesting dynamic, but they 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 get along well. Deb doesn't really seem to get along with anyone per se, other than this guitar player, which I'm thinking was her boyfriend. And they had a, some sort of a fight, which caused all this whole shaving of the head and trying to cut herself uh, drama. And they get into it a little bit, but they don't really delve too deep into that. But he shows up. What it's really interesting dynamic with this store is you've got your core employees, right? Joe, yeah. the manager, Lucas, AJ, Mark, Corey, Gina, and Deborah. But then you've got this Burko coming in at any time, talking to him, going to the back, doesn't matter. And the pizza guy, right? <laughs> Eddie, Wait, the pizza but he guy. Re- he runs the vinyl section. You ne- we never see anybody else in the vinyl section of the store except him. The pizza guy? Yeah. Oh, I, I guess I totally missed that. Because he's not a pizza guy. He works there. 
And he okay. met Deb and Gina when they were getting lunch and then they had their little spat and he comes in and he's like, hey, I get pizza in case anybody wants some. And Got then he it. goes to work at the vinyl section. And that's when we see Deb actually have her first like nice moment with somebody. Um, Pardon me. That's not her first nice moment. Deb has a nice moment when Corey has an absolute breakdown. And let's go talk talk about mm -hmm. Corey and Gina's breakdown and what happens. So throughout the movie, we have Corey, who is this perfect little girl. But she gets in the car with Gina that morning. And she's like, I'm going to give myself to Rex Manning. And let's talk <laughs> about Rex Manning. Rex yes. Manning is this superstar. And I want to say he reminds me of Barry Manilow, mm -hmm. which is in my world, fabulous, maybe not for everybody else, <laughs> but, but you know, he's this guy who's aged through time and, but still kind of good looking. And she has decided that she's going to give herself to him, that this is going to be her first time. And she makes him lunch and has him come in to, you know, get his lunch and she exposes herself almost completely. And then he says, well, I hope you like the taste of blue cheese as he unzips his pants. And for me, I kind of go, this is rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. And she does so, too. She kind of goes and then yeah, grabs everything and like is in disgust. Yeah. <laughs> but so we, we have some other stuff that happens in there too. But the dynamic between Gina and Corey is that Gina and Corey have a spat where Corey says, you know, I can't be like you. You know, I can't just give myself to everybody. And the girls come to a head. And what does Gina do? Gina goes right back to Rex Manning and takes him to that back copier room, doesn't she? She does. And, and uh, my favorite is they're all sitting out there like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that. Yet they still stand there staring at the door. When they waiting. know what's going on in there. Oh, absolutely. They do. And, and then Corey. Corey comes in and she's like, hey, guys, what's going on? I'm going to check out for the day. I'm not feeling well. Why is the door locked? Where's uh -oh. Gina? And they're all like looking Smack. like, mm. And then Gina comes out with her, you know, top undone, putting herself back together. And there's Rex. And he says, no applause. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I, the actor who did this part, and I think I said it to you yesterday when I was watching it. He was in Grease, too. And I loved him in Grease, too. I'm one of those dorky people who loves musicals to like no end. And Grease, too, always makes me smile and laugh. And once I realized that this was the same actor as Rick, this was the same actor that was in Greece too. I, I literally had to pause and pay a little bit more attention to him. Cause it was like, Oh wait, now I know who this is. I actually want to watch him play Rex Manning instead of think that he's such <laughs> just some douchebaggy, you know, rock star. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. um, but at that moment, that's when we have Gina and Corey come head to head. And can I tell you, this might be some of my favorite of Liv Tyler's work because the hysterical fit that she throws at this moment blows me away. And there's no way they did that in more than one take. Yeah, she does a great job. And Gina does a really good job, too, where she gets goes right back at her and exposes her for her taking diet pills. Of course, she's she's this goody two-shoes, right? Perfect person. And yet, here she is with this problem with diet pills, and they're going back and forth. Just a really, really good, powerful scene between them two. And, of course, that leads to Gina leaving for the day. She's you can leave, you're done with work for the day, you need to go, right? So she she takes off, and you know, Corey's left Not to deal with fired, all this. Not fired, by the way. Not no. fired. Correct. They specifically say, I haven't fired anybody else today. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And I, and and I've got to come back and say, I, I've got to come back and say, I, as a rule, 
hate Renee Zellweger. She is one of my <laughs> least favorite actresses. And I can watch her do this part over and over and over again and find zero flaws with the way that she does it yeah, through I, the entire movie. I think she does a great job. This is one of her very early acting jobs, too. So we didn't really know her that well at the time. But I, I think everyone does a great job in this. So after this whole spat goes down, right, you've got AJ. We haven't even talked about him yet. So AJ, other than to say that he's the guy gluing the quarters to the ground, he's an artist, right? He's kind of the heartthrob of the movie if I have to go back to, you know. <laughs> well, I think he's supposed to be, right? He's supposed <laughs> to be. <laughs> and so, yeah, he goes and he's been... Leading up, he wants to confess his love for Corey at ex- uh, before one thirty-seven p.m. Whatever. But she goes and gets in the spat with Gina, so she runs off, and he she ends up going to where he's at. He's fixing the lights of the of the sign, and he finds unaware, blissfully unaware, oh, of very unaware. The spat that happened downstairs, correct? Where the whole store got destroyed, but you know. Yeah, and so now they're sitting there, and he wants to confess this uh, to her, and she's like distraught, right? And so he confesses this to her, and she's like, "No, uh, you're like my brother. Uh, worst thing you could ever hear as a dude, right? You're like my brother." And so he's crushed, and she's talking about how she, you know, just threw herself to Rex Manning. Now he's hurt because of not only she rejected him, but now she, she's trying to bone Rex Manning. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, well, what the hell is going on? So he's like lost in all of this. And yeah, poor AJ. But his whole thing is that he can't afford to go to art school. And so they're trying to convince him that he needs to go to art school and this and that. And, you know, he's decided not to put his application in or so they think and whatever else. But another interesting character, though. But yeah, completely great scene, too. But those two on the roof as well in the aftermath. Uh- yeah, it it is wonderful. And I think one of the best parts is, is she's already, Corey has already dismissed him by the time we find Gina with Rex. And AJ has the best reaction, just, you know, kind of proving how much he, he really actually loves her and punches Rex right in the face or attacks <laughs> him on the couch. I mean, he ends up getting slugged in the face by Rex, too, who um, Rex then, you know, leaves with his tail between his legs after being told that his hair sucks, that he's washed out, that he's just a hot mess, yes. which, you know, and his manager quit <laughs> and his manager quit. But um, it's at that point you know, within a few minutes of that point where everybody comes together and decides that their goal is going to be to band together as a team to help save, you know, their music store mm-hmm. instead of letting it become a, a music town. Correct. Yep. So that's the big thing too, is that the, now everybody is aware, obviously Joe telling them that music, te- they're going to be music town employees after he has this big blow up. Because let's face it, all these guys are, these characters are misfits, right? In a, in their mm-hmm. own way. And they get to do whatever they want in this music store. They can play whatever music they want to play. They can dance around. They can do all sorts of things. They have free reign. But once they become a music town, they're going to have to act all corporate and nice and this and that, which is totally against their whole culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think, you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole thing with Rex Manning, let's get back to him for just a second because <laughs> I love the meet and greet, right? The meet and greet <laughs> is fantastic. He's sitting there and people are coming up and I don't like that I, chair. You know, yeah, I don't like the chair. I sit in the chair. I don't like I'm the chair. I'm not sitting in the chair. 
I'm not just sitting in the chair. I'm going to stand. Chair. Yep, I'm going to stand. Here, and, this is a oh, very God. nice chair. Okay, thank you. But my <laughs> favorite is when the people start coming up. Oh, who can I make this out to? Diane. I've always liked that name, Diane. It's not my name. It's my mom's name. She was really into you. I have no clue who you are. <laughs> I'm just you know what? an autograph. <laughs> I wish I could say that was my favorite part. But that operatic old lady mm. who takes his yes. song, no more, no more, more, goes and he, on and on with it. I'm like, oh, yes. right there. That's me at 80. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And he's sitting there like trying to smile like, oh, my God, please kill me. Right. <laughs> I don't even know if he's trying to smile anymore. Oh, he's trying to be think, nice. But he, uh, you he can tell is, it's irking him. <laughs> it makes me think of the little old lady in Patch Adams who just wants to go swimming in noodles. And it makes <laughs> so happy <laughs> <laughs> it was it's great the interaction is just great and he's realizing as he's going through there that that really his his fans are typically these older ladies um mm-hmm. that you had the 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 gay guy in the, in oh the my God. Who went absolutely him. nuts when rex came out he was so excited <laughs> it's just awesome so yeah just uh he gets hit uh, pretty hard in this in this movie with everybody else like you know pampering him and then all of a sudden turning on him completely after he kind of has his way with Gina in the back. <laughs> yep, <laughs> or maybe she love- has her way with him. But she just gets what she wants and proves the point. I, you know, and I'd love to go a little bit deeper with Rex, but I don't think there is any no, depth. There's not. <laughs> I think it's just like the superficial, ah, okay, we're done. Um, there's mm-hmm. bedrock. But <laughs> the way they come together at the end after everything falls apart is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, so they, they basically all give the money that they have to Lucas to kind of pay off his $9,000 debt. And it obviously isn't very much. And then they come up with an idea. And Mark actually is the one who comes up with the idea. They're broadcasting because of the shoot up that Warren did at the store. So they're Mm -hmm. broadcasting. And he comes out and says, I was an eyewitness. I was there, right? So they get him on TV. And he starts talking about how at midnight tonight, we're having this big party. Everyone's welcome. Free admission. Come on out and just hang out. We have a great time, right? And so they get this party. They bring out the beer. They bring out everything. People are pieing, you know paying to get their beers they're collecting money they have the guitar guy up on the top there playing guitar they got a whole band up there man wow yeah and and then of course he gets gina to sing finally because she was always afraid to audition and so he gets her to sing so she's up there just jamming away on those sugar high or whatever's the song oh my god i love that song and uh they're having a great party and they raise enough money where we haven't even talked about Mitchell yet, right? Mitchell right. is the because owner. Because there's not much to talk about with oh, Mitchell. Well, Mitchell's the part owner of the store. I think he shares ownership with Joe. Joe manages the store. Mitchell is just the, the money. And he is the one who's pushing to sell to Music Town because the bottom line is they'll jack up the prices and he'll make more profits, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's his whole goal. He comes in and they basically have to tell him, lie to him about the money. They give him a bag full of papers so he can go deposit it into the bank. He comes back and is just extremely pissed off that everyone is raging in his store. He, They tell him they quit, right? And so he's up there trying to do 
the take the money. He has no clue what he's doing. It's really great. And finally, he just looks at Joe and says, you know what, Joe? You love the store. I hate it. I'll sell it to you for dirt cheap. And basically gives him the jar of money that he has. And so Joe is now owner of the store. That's how they save everything. And everyone's happy. And that's kind of, you know, AJ and Corey decide that they both do love each other or whatever. So they get together and everyone's just all happy now. And, and that's kind of the ending of the, of the movie. But, uh, but let's not forget Joe and Rex Manning's manager, yeah. Jane. They end up together, too. Well, we're supposed to believe that they're together. It's, it's really – I love that – this movie takes all the little pieces that we love about John Hughes movies and makes them extra fun and extra spicy. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the movie out, you know, John Hughes is the big eighties guy, right? And he, music mm-hmm. was a big part of his movies, relationships, rom-com, all that stuff. This is kind of like a nineties version of that. Right. And, and I love it just my love for music alone, and especially with records nowadays, just I can't imagine. Uh, I grew up with Music Lands and Sam Goodies and and things like that uh, up here in Minnesota, which were just the same as what you saw there. You know, there wasn't a Tower Records here or anything like that. We had those stores; they were Minnesota uh, based. But uh, yeah, just God, I miss those days. You know, I miss those days. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's something that was fun about being able to take the headset off the hook and kind of put it on and listen to the sample of the song, the CD yeah. and kind of flip through everything. And then you could see what songs were on it. And for me, you know, yeah, I can go click on something on uh, on the Internet and, and look at all the songs, but it's not the same as feeling something in your hands. I mean, I think I've said to you that it might have been to you. I don't remember anymore. But like one of the CDs that's in my deck is Jagged Little Pill. It's in my car all the time. And we mm-hmm. all have, you know, those things that are those those tactile memories that we have. Absolutely. Um, Jagged Little Pill is not the same if I listen to it on the internet. Um, same with anything from this soundtrack. I, I can't do it. I I feel like I have to have it on a mixtape or a CD or something instead of just, you know, plugging myself into a machine. Yeah, I would agree with you there, too. I'm a huge physical media person. I don't care if it's a cassette tape, a record, a CD. I, I love having that physical media. Man, cassette tapes. That's what I grew up mostly with pulling out the inside and opening it up and looking at all the pictures, the lyrics, the credits, all that stuff. Love that. Same with CDs, the booklets. Gosh, love the booklets. We don't get that anymore. No, we miss that. You get none of that. How do you know who played on the, on the records nowadays? You don't, it's not there. You can go type it in, but you know, for me, I want to be able to learn the lyrics. I, Mm -hmm. now I have to sit down on my phone or browse the internet to get the lyrics. Whereas if I was sitting in the passenger seat and plugged a tape in, I could whip it out and just sing right along with it. And I didn't have any regrets. Now I don't know, you know, who's passing the duchy or whatever the lyrics are. (laughs) Pass the duchy to the left. (laughs) Right. I'm just saying. I agree. Uh, You know, and that's one of the appeals of this movie I think had to me was I loved spending time in music stores and I still do to this day. I'm so happy that a lot of those are coming back now and hopefully we'll be able to stick around. But um, I love being able to go there and flip through things, Uh, flip through the the CDs, flip through the, the records, Find what I'm looking for. Go through the cassette de- tapes, all that stuff. So, it's it, it, this uh, was a great reminder of what it used to be like. I mean, 
if you ever want to watch another good movie on that type of stuff, go find the documentary on Tower Records. It's absolutely phenomenal, and it's a fun watch. So things like this always make me nostalgic for those old-time record stores. They're not the same now, obviously. You don't have yeah. the giant uh, superstores. Can we get stores. some of that feel in uh, High Fidelity, too? Oh, absolutely. Now High yeah, Fidelity, so the, the TV show. One yeah, the TV show out now, too, is bringing that back, a record store, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then th- this is one I think I haven't seen a, a lot of it, but from what I see, it's more like today's record stores and what they're like instead of the p- previous ones, which the previous ones you watch Empire Records, they were massive stores, big, yeah. big footprints and just every kind of media everywhere, right? And now they're a little smaller because there's not as big of a demand for it, but they're slowly getting there, I think. Yeah, they're typically we'll combined with a bookstore, too, which is mm-hmm. great if you want to go get a book. But if you want to just go get music, I know that, that in, in my town, there's a used record store, mm-hmm. but there's everything in there. And you go in and it smells like an like old record store, record store mm-hmm. which is great. It's like going into a used bookstore where you can pick up the book and just fan it in front of your face and you can smell the paper from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but same thing when you pick up the record, you can feel it, you can smell it, you can see, you know. I find it so much easier to look at like a a deck of tapes to be able to see what tape is there rather than, you know, trying to scroll through again, you know, scrolling through iTunes, pardon me, or Google Play, trying to figure out what the heck you want to listen to. I I find uh, the older record stores, people were more knowledgeable about what was out there and where it was. Absolutely. They, They knew everything. That they had in that store. They knew all the artists, what, what kind of genre, what do you like to hear? Oh, I like to hear the Beatles or this. Oh, you should try this band or this band or this band. If you like mm-hmm. them, you'll like this. I mean, that's gone. I mean, it's, yep. it's gone as not- the customer service. Now, now yeah. it's, it's the, it's the push for the buck. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone on a tangent long <laughs> enough. Have, let's, let's bring it back to Empire Records. Uh, I think we're at the point now where we can give our recommendations on this movie, unless there's anything else you'd like to add. What is yep. your recommendation for Empire Records? Oh my gosh, if you don't see this movie, you're missing out. Um, it's one of my all-time favorites. Go back to it at least once or twice a year, just because for me, it was a time in my life that, that was, it was a sweet time you know it was a growing up stage for me and i think we're seeing a lot of this come back Mm -hmm. i think we're going to find that our kids when you know they're 15 16 saying hey mom dad did you ever see empire records and we're gonna go yeah let's watch it right now Um, yeah just kind of like some of the other movies that are that our parents watched i agree what'd you give it for popcorn rating oh popcorn rating you know how stingy i am with my popcorn (laughs) <laughs> no, even some of my favorite movies do not get popcorns. I'm going to give it a large. I never oh, give anything a large. There's like two larges in my, you know, repertoire. But I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a large because it just makes me happy. Well, there you go. That's huge. That's huge. <laughs> I'm also going to give it a large popcorn. I mean, I was shocked when I went and researched on this that it didn't make a whole lot in the box office. And the critical reviews were not good for it at the time. But I think over time, it's it's come back to it. I, they're doing a Broadway play, I think, or, or something like that for this, a musical of some sort for this m- movie itself. So that look for that to come out sometime soon. I think that's kind of cool. Um, and I just love this movie. I think it's great. It's, I think the, the characters are just so much fun. They're, and they're so diverse in this movie that it just makes you invest into each one of them. And I think that's really cool when a movie can do that. Cause many times you, you just don't get invested in everything. You pick a character or two or three here, but to invest in every single one and try to figure out what their story is and, and, 
follow it. I think that's great about this movie. So I'm with you. I'm giving this a large popcorn as well. I can't recommend this enough. A little trivia before we we close this out here. Did you realize that this movie was actually supposed to take place over two days? And they ended up cutting some 30 minutes of footage out of this film, which took a whole character out. They, they removed what? a full character from this movie just to make it fit in their one hour and 30 minute time limit and to keep it to a one day time frame. So I don't know that we're missing that extra character. I don't think we are either. And I'm <laughs> curious actually what, what that was character the was. Of the extra and, character? Right. I'm curious about that too. But it was 40 minutes of film that they cut after post production and one character. Oh, actually, three characters were removed from this movie completely. No kidding. So, very interesting little piece of trivia there. I I wonder if they'll ever put a director's cut out where we can actually see the the footage that came out and the characters that came out. Because I'd be curious to watch it with those and see how it changes the dynamic of the movie. I don't know that it would enhance it at all, though. No, I yeah, I've got to I've got to agree with you on that. Um, I I think it's a beautiful piece the way it is. I think that delving further into it, we have so many characters that we, we get these little snippets of having three more would kind of blow my mind and right. maybe even make me lose interest in it. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that we got the product we did. Yeah, I think they did a good job at, at post-production here on this point, because if I'm looking at my just my list alone, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve characters that we're following throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. Twelve characters. <laughs> so, and we don't even do the math for how many relationships that and, actually and, is. And honestly, thirteen if you include uh, the manager character. We don't get a whole lot of her, but she's in there too. So to follow all those would be like add another three on top of that would blow my mind but anyway i think that's going to do it for this episode so i want to thank you all for listening to film strip we hope that you've enjoyed empire records as much as we do and if you haven't seen it please do yourself a favor and do that follow us on our social media platforms film strip pod on twitter and instagram and film strip podcast on facebook and you can check out our YouTube channel or filmstrippodcast.com where you can find past episodes in our archives section. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find this podcast at. All feedback is appreciated. For Irina, I'm Brian. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.